Uh, thanks, Peter, uh, for reading the passage. And again, uh, welcome to everyone. It's good to see you. It's really hard to know who's here because of the masks, but I feel like um, I see some new people here. Uh, it's great to have you. Again, uh, it's great to have those who are joining us online. Uh, hopefully, it'll be very smooth and awesome today. Um, look, we're jumping into the fourth of a five-week series. Uh, we started this you know, about a month ago. And this series, I've been saying every week, it's a basic, it, it started off as a course uh, from a church in the Central Coast, EV Church. Uh, it's a get-to-know-Jesus, a kind of get-to-know-Christianity course. Now we're going to implement this at Kingsway. Uh, we're going to start running this course in small groups, you know, a few times a year. Uh, but as we started Kingsway, I wanted to take us all through it. And so we're in week four. Uh, in the other weeks, we talked about stuff like life to the full and the fact that Jesus makes the massive claim that he is the one who gives life to the full. Uh, we talked about, um, you know, the reliability of the Gospels. Right? Can we trust what we read in our Bible, particularly the New Testament, that talks about Jesus? And I don't know if you were convinced, but I was convinced by, by myself, maybe, that the Gospels are reliable. We can trust that real people saw Jesus and wrote down you know, what we find in the New Testament. Uh, last week, I talked about, you know, why did Jesus need to die? Right? And I talked about the justice of God and the mercy of God and how for those two things to be reconciled, Jesus, the Son of God, came to die. Right? And so in the cross, God is just and he was able to be merciful to us. Right? So we talked about all these things and today I'm talking about you know, what happens after death right so that's the question i guess for today what happens after death now we're in the midst of a pandemic uh it's a world-defining kind of year it's, it's a life-defining year really uh this year and last year um and hopefully not too much of this year uh, hopefully we'll we'll get the best of covid um, but this has been a disease like nothing else right i, I talked about it um last year to the launch team but uh, COVID-19 has reached everyone, right? No matter who you are, no matter how old you are, uh, it's reached everything in our lives, whether it's your work, whether it's recreation, whether it's you know, travel, everything's been touched in that way um, and everywhere, right? No corner of the earth hasn't been reached by this pandemic. Uh, but what if I told you that there's a far worse pandemic than COVID-19, right? This pandemic has been around for much longer it's reached more people, it's reached more things, right? It's spread to every corner, not just of the universe, but of every person's heart. Right? The Bible calls that sin, right? Sin is the great pandemic, right? And everything and everyone, everywhere has been touched by sin. Now, the Bible says that we can trace the origin of sin way back to Genesis in the garden, right? When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they ate the fruit that they should not have. And from that moment on, sin has spread, right? Everyone, everywhere, everything has been touched by sin. And one of the key kind of results of sin is death. Right? Before sin entered the world, there was no death. But now because of sin, everything, everyone, everywhere is, is dying. Everything's decaying, breaking down. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a human or a star in the, in the sky, everything's kind of got a, a limit, and the clock is running down. And no matter how advanced we get in our technology, no matter how enlightened we get in our thinking, we can't beat death. 
Right? No one has figured out how to get around that final enemy. And so we're going to talk about this question, what happens then after death? Right? What happens? There's different theories. Some people say you're reincarnated. Right? You get another go, maybe as a, a different mammal. Other people say that we all go to a better place. That's kind of the, what people say, oh, they're, they're at a better place. Right? Regardless of how you lived, what you believed, you're going to go to a better place. And many others say, well, nothing happens. What happens after death? Nothing. You just, you're buried and you're gone. And your body will decay, but your spirit or soul or your mind just ceases to exist. But what does Jesus say? Right? What does the Bible say? That's what we're going to look at today. I've got two points, and the first one is, why believe? Or why should we believe? Whenever it comes to finding answers to big questions, we should always go to the experts, right? The pros. If you're looking for a holiday destination, you don't just ask anyone. You, you ask someone who's you know, been on lot, lots of holidays, right? The person who's been at the place that you're interested in, they've experienced it for themselves, right? That's who you ask. If you want to beat an exam, you don't ask the person who failed it multiple times. You ask the person who, who beat it with flying colors, Right? That's the person you go to, the expert or the pro. And so as we try to answer the question, what happens after death, we should go to the pro, the expert, right? the one who's been to the other side of that door, the one who's experienced death and come back to talk about it, the one who's beaten death. Right? The Bible claims that Jesus is that person. He's the expert. He's the pro. He not only experienced death, but he defeated it on the cross. And then he rose from the dead to show that he really claims victory over death. And what Jesus tells us, this is what Christians believe, is that everyone is made for eternity. Right? That's what the pro, the expert says. You and I, everyone has eternity in our souls. But the question is, where will we spend that eternity? Will it be in a place called heaven or a place called hell? When Jesus comes back to judge the world, everyone who has died will be risen from the dead, will be resurrected, and we will be judged. And depending on whether we believed in Jesus or not, we will go to heaven or hell, right? That's the Bible's message. That's what Jesus tells us. And so if we want to believe in the expert, then we need to first then believe that he really did rise from the dead. Right? If he is the expert on this, if he is the pro, if he died and then rose from the dead, then we should actually listen to him. So let me spend a little bit on that. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Now, believing that Jesus rose from the dead, uh, that, that's a big thing to believe. But that's huge. That's a miracle like nothing else. In week two, I talked about the evidence in believing the Bible and that you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're real people and that Jesus is a real person and people have seen him. Um, but it's one thing to believe that Jesus lived. Uh, it's one thing to believe that Jesus died. But it's a whole, like something else to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Right? Many people can accept that Jesus was born, he lived, he died. Right? Many non-Christians will get that far. Right? But it takes an extra step to say, no, I believe that he rose from the dead. And so it's understandable that some of us here might have doubt. That might struggle to believe that he really came back to life. And, and if that's you, well, you're in good company because that's how the disciples felt. Right? They didn't really understand or even believe that Jesus was going to rise from the dead or that he was able to. So that when Jesus died on the cross, 
They weren't filled with hope. They were hopeless and they ran away. Right? Every single disciple except one abandoned Jesus at the cross. And then when they buried Jesus, they just thought this is over. Right? There's nothing left to live for, so they went back to their old lives. Right? They went back to being fishermen, etc. As far as, as they were concerned, right, Jesus wasn't going to rise from the dead. Right? Rather than f- being filled with faith, they were filled with doubt and disbelief. And this is helpful for us. Right, number one, because it means they are just like us. Right, they are the same doubts and disbeliefs that you and I might wrestle with. But it's also helpful because it means the disciples were not people that followed by blind faith. They weren't people who were just like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to believe. But the opposite, a lot of doubt, a lot of disbelief. Right, they weren't just going to believe that someone rose from the dead unless they had good reason to believe it. And so later on, when we find that they do believe, that should encourage us. Wow, something must have happened for them to have changed their mind. Now, one disciple who is known to be filled with doubt is a disciple named Thomas. Right, he refused to believe in Jesus right until the end. Right, we have the verses here about Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them, the disciples, the rest of them, when Jesus came. And so Jesus appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, right, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. Right? This is Thomas, a disciple. He walked with Jesus. Jesus had explained to them he's going to die and rise from the dead. But after Jesus is dead, like, this is the kind of doubt that he's, he's going through. Right? Even if I see him, it's not enough. I'm going to take my finger and I'm going to take the, the holes in his hands right, when he was crucified and be like, is that real? And I stick my hand into the side where he was pierced by the spear. Right? Is, is this a magic trick? Right? That's the kind of doubt that this guy had. And yet even doubters like Thomas or the rest of the disciples will go on to believe. Right? So that's the first kind of reason I want to put forward to you as to why you should believe in the resurrection of Jesus. The radical transformation we see in the disciples. They were people who were filled with doubt, and then something happens, and they're filled with faith. They were people of cowardice, running away from the cross. But for some reason, they turned into people of courage, run into the face of danger, preaching about the cross. Right? Something changes in them. And the Bible says what changes is that they see the risen Christ. Again, week two, if we believe that these are real people, if we believe that the records of the Bible are accurate, right, what we're reading in the New Testament is legitimate, then you and I, we have to, we have to ask, what, what made them change so radically? To have a 180-degree turn. They saw Jesus. Right? Acts 4.13. This is the response of the people who lived around that time. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Right? Even the non-believers at the time, they see the disciples they know that they're not great people. Right? They, they see a boldness in them that convinces them these people must have really seen 
the risen Jesus. And so the disciples, they endure mockery, prison. They give up their whole lives because they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Many of them are tortured and killed in the most gruesome ways. And the only logical kind of conclusion is that they really believed that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, they really believed that they saw him. Right? That's what they're saying. It's not only the disciples. Uh, we see uh, James, the brother of Jesus himself. Right back when Jesus was alive, it says, when his family heard about what Jesus was doing, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. I said, that's where they were. Jesus is, is out of his mind. But once Jesus dies and he rises from the dead, his brother James becomes a leader of the church. Right? That's what Josephus, a historian, says. And James goes on to write the, the book of James that we have in our Bible. Again, what makes him change? 1 Corinthians 15 says he saw the resurrected Jesus. Or you can talk about Paul, right, or Saul. He hated the church, he hated Jesus, he, he persecuted people, he killed Christians. And he went from an opponent of the faith to become a, a follower and leader of the faith. What makes him do that 180 degree turn? Right, we read in Acts 9, he met the resurrected Christ, right, in a supernatural way. All this to say, this radical transformation makes sense when you think they actually saw a risen Christ. Right? I don't know what other explanation would make more sense than that. So that's the first thing I want to put forward to you. Look at the way that they change. And maybe that might help to convince you that Jesus really rose from the dead. The second thing is the mass appearances. Usually when uh, things are made up, uh, it's done by an individual who went off somewhere, let's say, into a cave, and they had like some encounter, right? But it's one person going through something, and they come out of the cave, and they say, look, this is what happened. God spoke to me, da-da-da-da. But what's really interesting about the accounts of Jesus' resurrection is that Jesus didn't just meet individuals or an individual. He frequently met crowds of various sizes. You see, if it's an individual, you're not sure. Is that individual lying? Because they could have just made it up. Is that individual hallucinating? Right? Maybe they went into the cave and they think they actually met God, but you know, they just uh, had a weird you know, meal, and that meal kind of did stuff with their stomach and their mind, and they just saw stuff. Right? You can say that about individuals, but what about crowds, groups, right? over multiple times? The scriptures say, and we've got some examples here, that Jesus would meet the 12, right, in the room, right, multiple times. The women at the tomb, right, not just one woman, but two. They're the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then Paul says here that at one point, Jesus appeared to 500 people at once. So what are the chances that 500 people come up with the same lie, and every one of them, are willing to talk about this lie, believe in this lie, and none of them go, actually, right, I changed my mind, we, we all made this up. Right, there are 500 people and dozens at multiple occasions. What are the chances that 500 people hallucinated all at the same time and they were like, hey, you saw Jesus, I saw Jesus, but it's a hallucination. Right, that, that's very like, unlikely. The fact that Jesus would appear multiple times to great numbers of people 
only kind of really makes sense that if he really did. It's not a lie. It's not a hallucination. Right? No one in history writes down, they made this up. Right? The most logical conclusion is that Jesus really rose from the dead. And that's why all these people are saying the same thing. Right? The third thing is the empty tomb. Now, I can't go through all the kind of details about the empty tomb. You, you should research it. It's kind of interesting. But it's quite clear that, number one, Jesus died. Right? Some people say, no, he didn't really die. He was hanging on the cross. He faked his death. They took him down. And he's like, ha And then he got back up. No, that, I don't know. That seems silly for the fact that the Romans were experts at killing people. They invented the crucifixion. Right? And on the cross, just to make sure he was dead, they got a spear and they struck him on his side. And for Jesus to recover from that, you know, I have no idea like, what kind of like, I don't know, good luck he had. But that's very, very unlikely. But as they buried Jesus, this is really interesting if you look at um, these verses. It says that the next day, that is after the day of preparation, preparing the body to be buried, uh, to, to be sorry, put in the tomb, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. So these are chief priests and Pharisees are the religious enemies of Jesus. Right, so they're Jewish religious leaders. They did not like Jesus. So they put him on the cross, basically. And they said to Pilate, Sir, we remember how that imposter, Jesus, said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. And so what's happening in the story is the very religious leaders that crucified Jesus because they hate Jesus, they go to Pilate and they say, look, we want to make sure that the body is still there in the tomb. Put some guards there. And Pilate says, you put some guards there. And they go, okay. And so you can just imagine they're going to put a good set of large number of guards around the tomb because they're trying to make sure the body stays in the tomb. But the tomb is empty. Right, so that means the disciples didn't take the body because the Jews put guards around them. The Jews didn't take the body because you know, they put the guards around the tomb to make sure that didn't happen. The Romans didn't take the body because if they did, later on when Christianity became a problem, they would have been like, hey, by the way, the body's here. He didn't really rise from the dead. Then what happened to the body if none of those guys took it? But did Jesus somehow, after being pierced and crucified and, you know, in the most horrible way, get up with superhuman strength and push back the, the stone as a man, as a human, and just walk out of there, like sneak past the guards? It takes more faith to believe in any of these other theories than it takes faith to believe that Jesus is really God and that he rose from the dead and that he, because he's God, was able to leave the tomb. But if you look at all the historical evidence and the different theories, this is the most logical conclusion. What happens after death? Let's go to the expert. And the Bible says that the expert who has actually experienced death and come out the other side alive is Jesus. Now, there's a lot of stuff. I, I had to kind of truncate everything. But if, if you are not convinced, I encourage you to look at the evidence behind the resurrection of Jesus. 
This is actually really important for you to believe in the resurrection. Because as I said before, it, it's an extra step. If you can take the step to believe Jesus rose from the dead, then naturally you're probably going to believe that he is also God and Savior of the world. Lee Strobel, uh, he's the author of the book, The Case for Christ. I, I mentioned that last week. He recounts a time he watched a debate between a Christian named William Lane Craig, he's a scholar, Christian, and an atheist. Right? So it's one of those things where they get two people who disagree with each other on the stage, and people just sit there and listen. And he says that out of all the people who entered that room as atheists, agnostics, and skeptics, so out of the category of people who didn't believe, 82% of them walked out of that debate concluding that the case for Christianity was stronger than the other side. 82% of people who don't want to believe in Jesus. He said that 47 people entered as non-believers but walked out as Christians right, because they heard the evidence behind the resurrection. Right? That's a, a lot of people. Right? Maybe I should be doing that instead. Right, no, I'm just joking. But nobody, by the way, went from Christianity to becoming atheists. And so I know I blazed through a lot of stuff, but that's how kind of uh, convincing the evidence is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And so if, if you are kind of not convinced here, I want to encourage you, do your own research, look into it, read some books, right? The Case for Christ is a good book. And make your own conclusion. Right? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he did, he should be the one to tell you what happens after death. All right, let's move on. Number two, why does it matter? This is my last point for today. But if the resurrection actually happened, uh, let's just assume that for a minute, why does it matter in the end? Why should I care? Right, apart from the fact that we should listen to Jesus because he's actually died and risen from the dead, why should it matter to me? Right, so let me just point out three things. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, that means death is dead. Right, that, that means there is... The death is not the final answer. That there is someone out there who is stronger, more powerful than death. And he gets to have the final say. But I said at the start of the sermon that sin is the greatest pandemic. And everyone, everything, everywhere has been touched by it. And because of that, everything, everyone, everywhere is, is dying or decaying. And before Jesus came along, that was it. Right? Death was the king of the ring like if he's a boxer undisputed champion undefeated right? but jesus he, he enters the ring and he gets a tko right on this undisputed king and now he's the king of of, of death and life right that's what's happening he is victorious now he gets to have the final say and so because jesus rose from the dead we get an answer to what happens after death what happens after death we look at jesus he lives we can know because Jesus rose from the dead, we can know that what happens after death is that there's a possibility that you and I can also live like Jesus lived. That it's not always death full stop. Right? Because Jesus has shown us that that's not always the case. As long as Jesus really accomplished what he claimed he would accomplish, then you and I can enjoy life after death. Right, this is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, 
the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What he means by first fruits is that he's the first one of many to come. For as by a man came death, right? That man he's talking about is Adam. In the garden, Adam sinned, death spread everywhere. But by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus has shown that there is another way because he's, he's done it. And if you are a person who has faith in Christ, now he is your head and what he has done will happen to you. If you are under Adam, you will die. But if you believe in Jesus and you are under him, you will live as he has lived. Why does it matter? Because Jesus rose from the dead, so can you. The second thing. The resurrection matters because it answers the question, how do I really know that Jesus did the things he said he did? The resurrection is proof that salvation is real. What did Jesus come to do? First John explains it like this. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation means that Jesus is the one to satisfy God's wrath. Right? Last week I said God is a just God. And so when he looks at our sin, he can't just be like, oh, don't worry about it. Right? There must be payment for our sins. And what this verse is saying is that Jesus is the one who made the payment. And he satisfied, he appeased God's anger and wrath for sin. But the question is, how do we know that he really did that? Because anyone can claim this. I could tell you today, if you believe in me, when I die, if you believe in me, your sins will be forgiven. How do you know? I didn't just make that up. I I made that up. That's That's not true. But how would you know? How do we know that Jesus really did that? Because he rose from the dead. Let me give you an analogy to explain. Let's imagine you owed some gangsters a lot of money. You don't know how much it is because of interest, etc. All you know is that you can never repay how much you owe. The parallel here, by the way, is that we owe God because of our sins. We cannot repay for our sins. Okay. But I come along and I say, I'll pay it for you. Right? I'm Jesus in this parallel, by the way. So I come along with a briefcase full of money. I open it up. It's got just more money than you've ever seen in your life. And I say, I'll pay the price that you should pay. I close the briefcase and I walk into you know, the gangster's lair, right? our club death. Right? I walk into there. How do you know that I'm really going to pay it off for you? Well, if I never walk out, that's a bad sign. Right? It probably means you know, I'm in the sea somewhere. Second, if I walked out and I opened my briefcase and it was empty, that wouldn't be reassuring either. Because that could mean that I walked in I gave them everything I had, but it wasn't enough to pay off everything. Does it make sense? So I paid off maybe a third of it. I gave them all I had, but because my briefcase is empty, it might mean there's more to be paid. The only way you'd be really kind of assured and convinced is if I walked out with my briefcase, I opened it up, and there was still a chunk of money left. Because that would mean that whatever I had was enough. And they took some of that to pay off what you owed, but I've still got some left. But that shows that I had enough to pay off your debt. And so when we kind of bring that back to Jesus, 
If Jesus never came out of the tomb, we would never be certain that he really did what he said he did, that he paid the price for our sins. But we know that he did because he rose from the dead. It's like Jesus saying, I want to pay the price, I want to give up my life, but I've got so much life in me that I want to get back up and live forever. When God poured out his wrath on the Son, he didn't remain dead, but he rose from the dead because he satisfied it completely. And Jesus then rose victorious. I don't know if that kind of made sense. But the resurrection gives us assurance that all the things Jesus claimed, he really did. He's not just some person making big claims. He rose from the dead. The third thing. The reason why the resurrection matters is because if Jesus rose from the dead, that means he is king today. I said before that Jesus is king. He stepped into the ring. He he TKO'd death and sin, and now he's the reigning champion. Um, But it means that he's the king right now because he's resurrected. And so you and I need to give an answer to the king whether he will be your king. A dead king needs no response. A dead king has no power. But Jesus is not dead. He's living. He has the power over life and death. He rose from the dead. He's alive. And so you and I need to decide what are we going to say about that king? Is he your king? Do you believe in him? If you remember Thomas, the one who doubted, the one who said, no, I'm not going to believe until... no." Pick around here, you know, on the hot wounds on his hands, and I stick my hand into the spear hole. I'm like, is that real? This is what happens with Thomas, John 20. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I just want to point out Thomas's response here. What does he say? Verse 28. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. He's not saying my God like we hear today, where people are just like, oh my, you know, and they kind of just use it as a profanity. What Thomas is saying here is, you are my Lord, and you are my God. That's that's a huge shift in just his thinking about Jesus. A a minute ago, he's like, he's dead. He's dead, he's dead, he's dead. And they're like, no, no, we've seen him. He's dead, he's dead, he's dead. He's my Lord, he's my God. That's a huge change. And that's how significant the resurrection is. For you and me, if we can come to a faith in believing that Jesus rose from the dead, right? if he really rose from the dead, then he's not just a mere mortal. He's not just a mere man. He reigns at this very moment over life and death. And we need to decide, as Thomas decided, will he be your Lord? Will he be your God? Because that is the only conclusion we must come to. If Jesus rose from the dead at this very moment, he demands an answer from you. Is he your king, your Lord, your saviour, your God? Right? It's worth thinking about. 
Our opinion of Jesus matters because he reigns over life and death. And he will determine what happens after death for you. My hope is that every single one of us would confess, as Thomas did, when we look to the risen Christ, when we think about the resurrection, that we might be able to say, Jesus is my Lord and my God. And so just to summarize where we've been, what happens after death? Let's go to the expert. Let's go to the pro. The Bible says that Jesus is that person. The Bible says he rose from the dead. The disciples doubted. You might doubt, and that's understandable. But what we see is that these doubting disciples went through a radical transformation. What we see is that Jesus appeared to a lot of people, right? And their stories align. What we see is that the tomb was empty. And there's no good theory to explain how and why it could be empty. The most likely conclusion is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And so he's the expert. We should go ask him what happens after death. What do I need to do to make sure I live? If Jesus rose from the dead, death is dead. We can live forever. If Jesus rose from the dead, salvation is real. Right? He's shown that he really did do what he said he'd do. And if Jesus rose from the dead, he's alive and he's king. And you need to make a decision about who he is. Let me just end with a story. You know, the resurrection isn't just some kind of theory that you, know, you learn about it and it doesn't affect your present. The resurrection kind of affects our day-to-day. And I just want to give a story that illustrates this. Gary uh, Herbermas is a scholar, right? one of those kind of people who lives and studies and breathes the resurrection. Right? He does debates. He's written at least seven books on the resurrection. He's written over 100 articles on the resurrection. He knows the resurrection, but he recalls the time when it kind of came home to him, when it actually really mattered. And it was when his wife, Debbie, was dying of stomach cancer. And he talks about how he was overwhelmed with the heaviness of the situation. He'd ask questions like, you know, is normal? Why? Or why is Debbie up there? Why not me? Etc. And he explains that he ended up finding comfort in the resurrection. He says, he says, it was a horribly emotional time for me, but I couldn't get around the fact that the resurrection is the answer for her suffering. Right? What he means is, it's the answer I need to hear to, to comfort me. I still worried. I still wondered what I'd do raising four kids alone, but there wasn't a time when that truth didn't comfort me. I believe that with all my heart. If there's a resurrection, there's a heaven. If Jesus was raised, Debbie was raised, and I will be someday too. Then I'll see them both. Right? This is why the resurrection is so important. Not just for your death, but every day in your life. Right? It will give you hope whenever you go through difficulty as well. So I want us to spend a bit of time in prayer. Would you close your eyes with me? Would you bow your heads? And I want to ask, is, is Jesus to you a real person? Do you believe that he was born into the world? Do you believe that Jesus lived, right, as all the Gospels and even um, historical accounts out of the Bible say? Do you believe that he died on the cross? 
But at the end of all that, do you believe that he then rose from the dead? If Jesus rose from the dead, then it means a lot of good things, but it also means that you need to decide if he is your king. If Jesus rose from the dead, he is seated on his throne at this very moment. He is of all power and the whole universe is sustained by his power. If Jesus rose from the dead, it means that he will return and he will judge the world. And he will not judge it simply on how good we've been, whether we've done some charitable things. He will judge the world based on whether we believed in him, believed that we could not save ourselves, believed that he came to the world to save us, to believe that on the cross he took away our sins and he can give to us his righteousness. Do you believe that? Is he that kind of king for you? I want us just to spend 30 seconds just meditating on that, wrestling with that. If you believe, our response is to praise God, to thank him that Jesus rose from the dead, to find assurance today that Jesus did the things he said he'd do because he rose from the dead. To know that we will live forever just like he did. That no matter what kind of horrible end we might face on this earth it is not the last chapter for us but if you're not a believer today would you take that step of faith today to put your faith and trust in Jesus to find in him the answer to your question what happens after death let's spend some time in prayer and then we'll the praise team will sing a song and we're not able to sing right now because of restrictions but why don't we in our hearts maybe humming, you know, sing along as well. So let's pray.